0: Those that Brother Andrew shared the gospel with retained a love and a respect for him that transcended the differences that they had politically and the differences they had uh, even religiously.
1: If God told you to go share the gospel with a person that everybody in the world perceived as a terrorist, would you do it? If God told you to smuggle Bibles past soldiers with machine guns and german shepherds snarling would you do it we're going to talk today about a man who did it and in fact inspired many to do it and we're going to talk to the man who was one of his friends and ran one of his ministry organizations hi this is joel rosenberg and this is inside the epicenter but today with carl moeller (laughs) Okay, I'm the founder and the chairman of the ministry, but and Carl is usually saying the opening to this podcast. But we decided to flip the script today because Carl, while he's our executive director at the Joshua Fund and has been for the last several years and doing an amazing job, one of his ministry lives (laughs) uh, was being the executive director of Open Doors USA. Now, that was a ministry founded by Brother Andrew. Brother Andrew is one of the most consequential uh, Christian leaders, ministry leaders uh, of the 20th century and the early 21st. We're going to talk about his story. You're going to hear this extraordinary man. To me, he was a combination of James Bond for Jesus, and I know that Carl saw him the same way, and he passed away uh, recently at the age of 94. And on our uh, websites, uh, one of our websites, All Arab News, we, we posted three different stories, about Brother Andrew, because one by my wife, one by Carl, and one by a dear friend and, and ministry staff uh, partner with Brother Andrew, a guy named Al Jansen, who helped co-write several of Brother Andrew's books, traveled with him extensively, and and really knew him up close and personal. So, uh, if you get a chance, I would encourage you. We'll put those links to those three tributes in the show notes. But Carl, uh, you're in England today and uh, you look like you're in, you know, like you're in some murder mystery <laughs> mansion with Mr. Plum or I don't know, maybe Mrs. Plum, whatever. Watch out that nobody with a candlestick back there, uh, That's right. you know, whacks you. But uh, good to see you, brother.
0: Well, it's great to be with you, Joel. And what a, what a fantastic uh, introduction as, uh, as the setup for this conversation.
1: Well, everyone who's listening to this podcast who knows Christ personally will one day have an opportunity to sit down, as you and I have both done, with Brother Andrew. Uh, really, I, like, I, I, I don't have enough superlatives for him, so I want to get into this. But I want to talk about his heart for Muslims, how he took the gospel to meet with Yasser Arafat, who, again, widely perceived, not by everybody, but certainly those here in Israel as a terrorist, and... Um, he was the head of the Palestine Liberation Organization, and uh, none of that bothered or or hindered Brother Andrew from wanting to go give him a Bible and, and talk about Christ with him, and, and we're going to talk about others. So that was a more recent element of Brother Andrew's ministry, right, looking for open doors. That was his heart. God would open doors to places where most Christians would think that's not possible. You can't take the gospel there. You can't get Bibles there. But he started as God's smuggler. And uh, let's start there. Um, yeah. Just a little background first on so that people have some idea of who we're talking about, Carl. Sure. And then we'll talk about how you got to know him and, and, and what you learned from him.
0: Sure. I, I think most people— uh, Got to know Brother Andrew uh, through the book God Smuggler that was written in the 60s about his earlier exploits and continuing exploits, if you will, on the mission field. And what Brother Andrew did that was so revolutionary was that in post-communist Eastern Europe, uh, he actually went behind the Iron Curtain. Uh, Most Americans uh, didn't even think that was possible, nonetheless desirable. Missions didn't really even consider going into communist countries Atheistic communism, you know, post World War II, Cold War environment, highly charged. You know, anybody crossing a border uh, between the West and the East was considered by both sides as probably a spy, right. uh, on some level. And so, you brother, could Andrew, in prison forever. You could go to prison forever, and and it was uh, it's hard to convey just how tense that time was, especially in the late fifties uh, when you know some of those communist regimes were clamping down on. Hungary and Czechoslovakia and all of these other countries. Well, Brother Andrew, out of that book, God Smuggler, people got this uh, amazing story. It, It changed the game for missions to say, you know, there was a whole church behind the Iron Curtain that the West had completely forgotten about. I mean, sure, we were sending missionaries all over the world, but not behind the Iron Curtain. And Brother Andrew said, why is that? That we need to make sure that they have what they need and, and especially Bibles and uh, some of those stories are really, really famous so yeah.
1: Well that's a great intro because you know again for younger listeners and viewers of this podcast that you know they may not remember or have ever heard of unless they were learned it in school and I don't want to take that for granted these days that the Soviet Empire, the Soviet Union itself, uh, with its 15 republics but all its satellite countries that were communist in the Eastern Bloc, the Warsaw Pact, as they were known, atheism was the religion. It was illegal to practice your faith uh, in Jesus Christ. Uh, yeah, there were a few token churches left open so that the West could say, oh, I see there's some churches. But really, most churches, uh, many churches, were turned into atheistic museums, became illegal to print a Bible, it became illegal to transport a Bible, to have a Bible. And so when you starve an entire people, a continent that spans 11 time zones of the word of God, you're standing as an antichrist system. And if no, if the church doesn't figure out a way to respond, people are going to die and go to hell, never even having had a chance to hear much less hold a Bible for themselves and say, what does the scripture say? It took enormous amount of courage for brother (laughs) Andrew to, to pioneer this ministry.
0: Yeah, well, Joel, as as you know, as later I got to know him uh, quite well and spent many years working with him, uh, to imagine this uh, this twenty something young Dutchman who had come out of a very interesting background, crossing borders with a Volkswagen full of Bibles hidden in the door panels and secret compartments, but you know he did that because the church there needed it. His main motivation was always to do what the body of Christ wanted in those places, whatever they needed. It was his mission to go and get it for him. And mostly they needed two things. They needed to be remembered in prayer because again, many of those Christians throughout the years have always felt persecuted. Christians have always felt, does anyone understand our suffering? And is anyone praying for us? So we assured them that we would mobilize prayer for them. And secondly, right after prayer, they said, can you get us copies of the Bible? Can you get us God's word? And uh, we did everything we could. Uh, and Brother Andrew certainly showed us the way. But he really changed the game as far as missions in that way was concerned. Prior to that point, if a country had a, a, you know an illegal, it made it illegal to, to send someone in there. The church usually just said, OK, well, we can't get in. And Brother Andrew said, we can always get in. He said, we may not be able to get out. Right. we can always get in. <laughs> right,
1: right. No, that was uh, – look, I read that uh, book, God's Smuggler, uh, written in the late 60s. I think it was published yeah. in 1970. It's the, I read that book as a teenager. Yeah. I had come to faith in Jesus at the age of eight, but it took a few years for me to take it seriously. I believe I was truly a born-again believer. I mean I, under, I understood it, and I and I really wanted to follow Christ. But I, I wasn't being raised in a church uh, Sunday school environment or, or youth group environment that was really st- – teaching me the word of God. Uh, They Mm -hmm. weren't horrible and they were wonderful people. I love them, but no one was taking me deeper and no one was expecting much of me. Anyway, uh, not to get into my own testimony, but as I really became electrified by my faith in Christ and my hunger for the word of God uh, at the age of 16, 1984, I began to devour books that would help me discover heroes. I I just, you know, all young boys need heroes and for some, it's Luke Skywalker. For others, it's Frodo. For me, it was James Bond. <laughs> I'm not saying that was the right hero. I'm just saying my dad had a box of Ian Fleming novels um, in the attic. I found them. I started to read them. I'm not saying even the novels were that great. Then the movies, uh, some of them were good. Some of them were pretty campy. But anyway, but that was the only spy thrillers I had access to, and I was drawn to those type of stories. not surprising that I would grow up, since I didn't know how to do anything else, to write spy thrillers of my own but when i read god smuggler i i again electrified is the word that comes to mind i thought who i never connected faith in christ with some sort of dangerous mission that maybe maybe was needed right i saw you know people in the bible the apostle paul or king david in his day whatever but those were heroes but like a james bond for jesus get out so you and I, we were pretty sure that we met, we didn't really get to know each other, in the summer of 1986. Tell our viewers and listeners, what were we doing in the summer of 86 that combined brother Andrew... And you and me and about three hundred other young people.
0: Yeah, so a couple of introductions to that. Um, uh, I like you uh, encountered God Smuggler. For me, it was a comic book version because I I don't read that well. No, <laughs> but uh, but it was the comic you, book you version. You with the PhD and the masters <laughs> and the okay, whatever. <laughs> maybe maybe he, then. The, the, the thought was, this guy's the coolest Christian around. I mean, all the Sunday school <laughs> lessons I had about David and everything, and they're wonderful. But, you know, I mean, he was dressed in a, in a loincloth or a toga, you know, and... And, and, and the story and was he, getting told on flannel graphs, which wasn't yeah, graphs. Like a moving way to tell a story. But, you know, this guy who's smuggling Bibles into a communist country underneath the nose of of uh, fully armed guards at the borders. Amazing. So, yeah, and I think it was an inspiration later when we were in 1986 on that uh, summer project with uh, Campus Crusade for Christ, then now known as Crew. And when we were on this project called Project North Star, where we went into the former Soviet Union and the former Soviet Republic. It was still
1: the Soviet Union then. Was, that's right, yeah, exactly. It now, it was the country, Soviet
0: then. Union, exactly. Oh, yeah. It was funny yesterday, I happened to be uh, speaking with some folks uh, here in the UK who uh, came from uh, Russia at that point and uh, remember clearly. Uh, just happened to be, you know, in the same city with them. But uh, that's a story for another day. But uh, the whole concept that we had was to bring Bibles and testimonies into communist countries. And I don't think that would have happened. I don't think that the numerous traveling evangelists and Bible and theological education programs that emerged in the 70s and 80s and 90s, would have happened if it wasn't for this young Dutchman in 1955 going into communist countries, just a solo operation to bring Bibles into those countries. I really think he set the world of of outreach on its head that way.
1: He did. And I I think that when I got the invitation to go, I didn't even know the country at first. I just knew it was a a closed country, a dangerous country. And I got this invitation to go to a, a, a private discussion and see if I would be interested in this. And I I had just finished my I was just finishing my freshman year at Syracuse University. You were a couple years ahead of me, but um, I think what drew me was this is the closest I know how to do that Brother Andrew does as a, as a life mission. Yeah. And I remember his famous prayer, yeah right And so would you share what became known as the smuggler's prayer? Yeah. So uh,
0: even as uh, late as 2003 to 2012, when I was working uh, at Open Doors, uh, we would still encourage all of our teams going into these countries to pray the prayer that Brother Andrew taught us to pray, which was simply, Lord, while you were here on this earth, you made blind eyes see. I'm carrying your word to your children. Lord, as I cross this border, will you make the eyes of the guards blind to all that you do not want them to see. And I can say, you know, it's not it was not a magic formula, but it reoriented our hearts mm-hmm. into the reality that God is capable. And I could tell you story after story of things that seemingly should have been detected by guards who were, you know, there for that very purpose. Yeah. And hundreds of Bibles uh, would get in underneath, writing the noses of these guards. And, and I, I truly believe that putting our hearts and minds in the place of saying, God, it's, it's your work. It's your church that we're going to serve. You know, if you want some of this detected. I have a quick story I heard from Brother Andrew one time uh, uh, after the fall of the Soviet Union, uh, a guard came to him. Uh, a former uh, border guard, and said, you know, uh, I confiscated a Bible that was being smuggled in. And often what would happen would be that we would smuggle in Bibles that uh, people gave. In the early days, people literally gave Bibles in Russian to Mm. Brother Andrew uh, before we had a whole range of things. But he told Brother Andrew, he said, I was working as a guard. I confiscated this Bible. And when I opened it up, it was actually my grandmother's old Bible. Whoa. And he wow. said, I began to weep because she had taught me about mm. Christ. Mm. And yet under communism, we eliminated all of that. And here it was, I was holding her very Bible. Now only God could do a miracle.
1: Like only that. God could do that. Wow. Anyway. How powerful. Well, in a moment, we're going to come back and we're going to talk about your being hired to run Open Doors. And, and then you getting the opportunity to go with brother Andrew where to boldly go where very few people have gone before into Gaza uh, to talk to uh, radical Islamists about Jesus. We'll be back in just a moment.
0: Hi everyone. If you've been injured in an accident, that was not your fault. Listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free.
1: The verse of the day is a verse that was actually very important to Brother Andrew. It was the verse that the Lord impressed upon him when Brother Andrew took his first trip behind the Iron Curtain. He went to Poland to a communist youth conference just to just to see what was going on and to try to understand, well, what are you doing and how can I be helpful to these young people who don't know the word, don't know Christ? And how are they going to know if nobody tells them? The verse came from Revelation chapter 3, verse 2. It was... The Lord speaking to the church in Sardis, and it reads this Wake up and strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die, for I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. Wake up and strengthen that which remains. The prayer requests, of course, you can imagine flow from this is Lord, strengthen your brothers and sisters, your children, our brothers and sisters, in Closed countries, in persecuted places where they're in danger for their faith in Jesus Christ. Encourage them, give them strength, give them hope to endure the suffering that they're experiencing. And Lord, please open doors that we might right now think are impossible. Take the good news of Jesus and your word, your precious word, which does not return void. Show us how to take it to people who need it in places where they have no access. To it. Well, Carl, this is an exciting conversation. You were involved in ministry. You, you know, you got your theological education and you'd gotten your, a lot of ministry experience over the years, but then you had an open door of your own. You got invited to run Open Doors USA, uh, the largest element of several different open doors ministries around the world that Brother Andrew founded. I should just note by a setup, the 10 million copies of God smuggler that were sold and distributed all over the world in, in 35 different languages. That's just 10 million in English. Uh, mm-hmm. But those prevented Brother Andrew from going because he became so famous. Even the name, Brother Andrew, isn't his real name, but it is not a code name, but maybe a nickname just to use so his actual identity wouldn't be exposed. But by not being able to go, God opened the up even more doors because he mobilized people like you to say, I will step in the breach. I will help. What can I do? Talk about getting hired uh, to do this. And, and then we'll sure. t- shift in a moment to as the whole Soviet Union collapsed and the Berlin Wall fell and the Iron Curtain opened. Then his heart, Brother Andrew's heart started to shift to the Muslim world. Yeah, exactly.
0: You know, it was really interesting, uh, Joel. Uh, when you were saying that, my my mind was flashing on so much of what Brother Andrew did was a first and so much of his ministry was was really at the at the leading edge until, you know, that book became sort of globally known. And but he knew every country he went in uh, that he was followed, that he was uh, in fact, when uh, East Germany uh, reunited with West Germany and the Stasi, the German secret police in East Germany, opened their files. His file was like this thick. He said. He said, you know, it was just like everything I did and where I was, and they always had somebody watching him. So obviously, that limited some of the work that he could he could do. He but had to still, take that, that's
1: an interesting point because it tells us, nevertheless, God ha- had his favor on Brother Andrew to continue to be able to. Uh, uh, advances. He he didn't wind up in a gulag for the next fifty years of his life.
0: Exactly. And you know, we we've seen that happen and 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 Andrew, you know, was was still he was he was incredibly funny. He was very straightforward. He had no tolerance for pomp or ceremony or pomposity. I mean, he was just that kind of guy who was who would load up a Volkswagen with bibles and not really care who knew about it and just drive but when I, when I knew him obviously he was uh you know several years removed from the day-to-day operations he was of, an
1: international icon by that point oh yeah I mean, no, no question
0: no question he was that. And, and again, just not with pretense whatsoever. He was not a Christian celebrity. He always eschewed that. He just didn't want to deal with that at all. But he had such a sense of humor and was so funny. I'll tell you a few stories about that. But uh, my first encounter with him was two weeks after I was hired. And I was hired from a, a large uh, suburban church in Southern California. Very uh, accommodating, you know, very comfortable life. We had four kids and and I thought, okay, Kim and I are going to go and we're going to we're going to meet Brother Andrew in the Netherlands and then we're going to go meet uh, our Open Doors leadership in a conference we were having. And we went to brother Andrew's home. Uh, we were taken there by the open doors, Netherlands staff. He, you know, he met us at the door and he said, well, come around to my office, which was in his garage. It was not like he had a, you know, a a corner suite in some, you know, glass and and steel building. Yeah. It was, it was this little tiny house in, in uh, a little suburb of the Netherlands. And we sat there uh, and he sat us down on his couch. He goes, would you like some coffee? And we said, yes, we would love some coffee jet lag and all of that. And then he left and Kim and I look at each other and we're just like, we're sitting on brother Andrew's couch. This is the God smuggler that I read about in the, in the you know, in, in the comic book. And it was just sort of, we were a little bit starstruck, but he, mm-hmm. he was never uh starstruck by anyone. He would meet with presidents. He would meet with leaders and he, he was always uh, straightforward kind mm-hmm. Uh, very direct and very, very uh, much a listening ear for people. But um, uh, later on that trip, uh, Kim and I experienced the other side of, of the Open Doors ministry that we served, which was, you know, we went and listened to testimonies from the field, from our field staff uh, for two days. And uh, just having come from this very comfortable church environment, mm-hmm. it wrecked us. It just it's mm-hmm. sort of like we laid on the bed and we said, are we up for this? And I was reminded of Brother Andrew, you know, he, he was always uh, uh, had a uh, what we called the ministry of a wet shoulder uh, mm-hmm. presence. You know, he said 80% of the ministry is just showing up. And when we showed up with people who were being persecuted, often they would be stunned that someone from the West would come and pray with them and give them a Bible or talk with them. And then many of them had suffered great loss, loss of freedom, loss of loved ones, martyrdom, and so we, we would often have believers uh, just cry on our shoulders. So there was this incredible, interesting dynamic of Brother Andrew, direct and super cool guy with a lot of funny <laughs> lines, and at the same time, just this wide open, sensitive heart to, to what God was doing.
1: You gave me one of my, lens in my, you know, most pre, one of our most precious moments. Um, I'm not a big fan of precious moments, those little porcelain dogs, but whatever, that's Different and um, no, bless your hearts of those who are. But anyway, but one of our most amazing moments was you invited us to attend a, an Open Doors uh, retreat uh, conference and for me to speak about what God was doing in the Middle East, what, in Israel and elsewhere. And um, we wanted to do that because we love the ministry of Open Doors, but we also wanted to do it because you were inviting us to come and have lunch with Brother Andrew. And we thought, get out. Are you kidding me? I mean, we felt the way you and Kim felt. And uh, That was really very, very special. And in the lead up to that, um, uh, Brother Andrew's publisher, or maybe it was you actually, maybe directly, sent us an advance copy of a book that was coming out around then called Light Force. And it was about his experiences taking the good news of Christ and being a witness and ambassador for Jesus as well as bringing the word of God into the Muslim world, and that, that there was something exciting and dramatic happening that most people post 9 11, uh, most Christians thought, There's no way, these, are, you know, let's just bomb them. I, I heard mostly Texan Christians saying this, but nuke them till they glow. Like when they spoke of the, the Muslim world, there was such anger and there's such bitterness. And there was, even among Christians, like, like forget trying to reach them for Jesus. We should just bomb these people. And so this book was very important to us, one, because we already had that heart, but there was so much we had to learn. We had not yet. Well, maybe around then we uh, I think when we got the book, we had not yet started the Joshua Fund. I think it was a few years before, but but then when we came to your retreat, uh, it was a few years later. so anyway the point is that book moved us deeply, and I remember saying to Brother Andrew when we sat and just had this lunch with I don't know, five or six of us, I have to confess it never dawned on me, Brother Andrew, to pray for the head of Hamas, the terrorist mm-hmm. organization, or other terrorist leaders or you know I, I'm ashamed to say it. Yes, I know Christ told me to love my enemies and to pray for those who persecute me, but I there are certain people I just never put on my list. I never, until I read your book, and so I sort of you know confession's good for the soul. And I I did confess it. Talk about what you saw, maybe in some anecdotes of literally going into Gaza. I've never been to Gaza. I, I hope it's liberated from the Hamas terrorist organization one day, but terrorists are not. These are people who n- need to know Jesus.
0: So uh, when I went to Gaza with Brother Andrew, I went twice. We had a couple different uh, objectives uh, on on one trip to Gaza. I was with uh, Al Jansen as well, and and another good mutual friend of ours, uh, Labib Mandanat, who passed away a yeah. few months ago
1: as well. well. That's a good reunion they're having uh, in, in heaven right now, but
0: yeah. So- well, yeah, Labib was our translator, and uh, Andrew and, and Al and myself were were in Gaza, and uh, there were opportunities that started just popping up because uh, whenever there, <laughs> there were open doors, uh, when Andrew would get would uh, literally come across the border, his phone started buzzing. Just the, just constantly buzzing. He didn't have a real smartphone or anything. It was just one of those old stick phones uh, at the time, and he was just like talking. And then Labib would get on and, and communicate. And it turns out that these phone calls were coming from the Hamas leadership and the Islamic Jihad leadership. Now I don't know about you, but if I get a phone call and it says, you know. Hamas on it. I'm not answering the call. Brother Andrew, however, had developed over the years an ethic of bringing hope and love to people, regardless of where they're politically, uh, were. And he never compromised the gospel when he communicated with a terrorist. Uh, I sat with him as, as Al and Labib were with us, uh, as Andrew sat with the founder of Islamic Jihad in Palestine. Mm-hmm. And there was a bowl of dates between the four of us, five of us, uh, and Labib translated, and around us were all of these uh, militant guards in the courtyard of this this guy. And he's in his robes, and he's actually simply saying, you know, Quranic poetry, you know, they're very gracious and very, you know, very, uh, well, you know, you've had these conversations. And so in many cases, then brother Andrew was expected to, to respond next. And he would quote the gospel. He would quote from Luke at length. And I remember sitting there again, like another one of these pinch me if this is really happening moments that I'm sitting listening to brother Andrew share the gospel with the leader of a terrorist organization. Yeah. And we know he shared the gospel with Yasser Arafat. Some say uh, over time, Yasser Arafat prayed to receive Christ. Brother Andrew would say, yeah, everybody says they talked to Arafat about Christ and then he prayed with them. So who knows? But I know this, that those that Brother Andrew shared the gospel with uh, retained a love and a respect for him that transcended The differences that they had politically and the differences they had uh, even religiously. Uh, And it was it was an opportunity to reach them for Christ. Brother Andrew used to say, if they can be reached, they can be one and everyone can be reached. He would. He was convinced that there was no one beyond the reach, and that would include today, like Kim Jong Un or Xi Jinping. You know, any of these great leaders, or or MBS, as you have, none of them are without being
1: able to be reached. And uh, and Andrew was a model of that. So he was a prayer warrior. You know, open do- doors don't just open because you know. We would say in Hebrew, stom, like for, for no reason. Like they open because God opens them because we're praying that they would open, right? Paul asks us uh, – or he doesn't ask us. I mean I think it's a command from Christ. But through Paul is saying, pray for me that doors would open, that I could take the gospel, that I could be an ambassador, even in chains, right? And, and I think the scriptures are clear that not only are we supposed to – you know, pray, people say, well, how am I supposed to pray without ceasing? Like, I, you know, don't I have to do other things in my day? many people can't fill up five minutes of prayer much less an hour much less the day i think it's because we pray for small things that Mm -hmm. don't inspire us and don't we you know and they're not they're they're not really a big thing Mm -hmm. he prayed for crazy things we call them at the joshua fund audacious prayers like if you pray lord i would like to go meet the king of jordan and go talk to him about the lord and and hear what he thinks and i would like to go meet the crown prince of saudi arabia like Where did I get that crazy concept of praying? Well, one was from my pastor in college from India. You know, Joel, visa of a prayer, hearing and a prayer, answering God, a wonder working God. And I can't do a brother Andrew uh, accent, though I used to, I heard him on some tapes. I remember him saying something like, um, I'm a Bible translator, a Bible distributor. And, uh, and, and he even said once a little girl asked him, you're a smuggler. That's a bad man. And he said, well, It can be unless you're taking the Bible into countries where you're not allowed to have a Bible. And so my point is he prayed that God would open doors that almost nobody else would go through. I literally don't know anybody else that has tried to take a Bible, much less the the message of Jesus, to Sheikh Yassin, who was the head of Hamas, the Mm -hmm. spiritual founder, as well as all these different organizations. And as we come to a close here in a moment, I will say – there have been some who have been critical of Brother Andrew for not being loving enough towards Israel. That he mm-hmm. had such a heart for the Palestinians and Muslims generally that he was very critical of Israel. Now, I didn't personally experience that. He knew that I was Jewish. He knew that I love Jesus. He knew that we have you know a great uh, love and compassion for Jews and Israel, but also for Arabs. Um, so I never saw that. Now, I'm not saying it never happened. Never said things. I'm sure he was critical of some policies that the Israelis themselves have been critical of and that other evangelicals have. So it never bothered me. But I'm not saying that maybe there was not more there, but I didn't ever experience it. And I just think as we close, I would just like you to share a little bit about that because when we needed a new executive director three years ago or so, I said, well, we need somebody like Carl Mueller. <laughs> and they said, OK, well, and I listed out why. I wasn't really thinking of you specifically, I, except I was thinking, we need someone like you, because I just didn't think you would be available. And the ministries that you had led and run, you know, we're a rounding error. We, you know, your minist- the ministries open doors and others, they spend more on, you know, office supplies than we have in our budget. But anyway, all right, I'm exaggerating a little bit for little comic bit. effect, yeah. but I really didn't think you'd be available or interested. But I said, well, we need someone like him who has a love for both. Right. That's so important to us. And how many people could we possibly hire that has actually been to Gaza? Like there's that's a, you know, that's a small handful or spent time with Palestinian believers on the West Bank and or, or elsewhere in Iraq. And so. so just talk about what you saw. And then just in the last one, we've got a minute or two here, the balance there. I and mean, I think, yeah, I just love your thoughts on that.
0: Well, I, I think Andrew uh, truly did uh, love uh, both sides, uh, like the Joshua Fund. Now, I wouldn't put Brother Andrew in the category of a, of a good theologian. He wasn't a good theologian. He was not. He, he was a, he was an activist and he was engaged and he was busy with the work that God laid on his hands. But uh, I, I was, I was with him in Israel, uh, both Labib and I, uh, with Brother Andrew. Uh, Brother Andrew had a great, uh, love for the body of Christ in, in Israel and uh, and for the Messianic congregations, when they were able to you know uh, connect with him on that on that basis, uh, he had a great sensitivity for the Palestinians and uh, and created uh, a number of uh, pathways for Palestinians to go to Bible College and to mm-hmm. to be trained. And uh, he lamented the decline of the Christian community in the West Bank and other places. I mean, he he would often say, "Are we are we going to just sit?" by while the the christian church these places becomes a christian museum uh and and not a vital church and i know that all corresponds with what the joshua fund's mission and vision is now i do think that uh Candidly, I'm attracted to the Joshua Fund because I do think the theology that we bring to this conversation between Israeli and Palestinian, between the you know the Arab countries and Israel, is far sounder and far more biblical. But it wasn't to say that Brother Andrew, you know, he, he certainly had uh, his preferences. But I do think that he he really mostly cared about Jesus. The the number one thing that, that Brother Andrew wanted to do was to bring both sides to the foot of the cross. And at the foot of the cross, we can both say, you know, we're united. And honestly, unfortunately, there are far too few voices uh, voicing that sentiment. They want to make a political solution before there's the the recognition of, of at the foot of the cross that we're equal. Brother Andrew wouldn't have tolerated that. I don't think he was supporting that, but. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, we continue to carry on the memory and the legacy. There's so many funny stories I wish we'd gotten to, uh, but uh, you know, he was a wonderful brother. I can't wait to spend time with him in, in heaven again, and uh, to see this guy I knew in his 80s who died at 94. He's probably already, you know, ripping it up in heaven with all of our brothers uh, that have gone before us.
1: Well, think of all the people behind the iron curtain who got saved or strengthened their faith because they got one of those Bibles. There's going to be a lot of – that's a long line of people that are going to yes. want to meet him, thank him. Uh, I'll close with a story of my own. In uh, around 2004, I think, I was going to start working on a novel called The Ezekiel Option, which deals with Russia and the Magog and Magog um, prophecies of Ezekiel 38, 39. And I, I thought, you know, to do this story I, – I, I've been to Moscow before in, in 1986 with – you know, young people with Campus Crusade and smuggling Bibles and, oh, man, I, that, I had to, I've had to use discipline not to just tell stories and ask you a story just of what we got to do being inspired by Brother Andrew because this is really more about Brother Andrew than our inspiration from him. But I will say that I hadn't been there back in a while and I thought uh, I should go and do some research and be ready. I was also working on Epicenter, that first book which from which this title of this podcast comes. And so I asked my father, hey, Dad, you want to go to the old country and meet some fascists? His family, you know, his parents and grandparents had escaped out of Russia as Orthodox Jews. Uh, he he was born in Brooklyn. He was born in America. He's a first generation American. So he never experienced this and he'd never gone back uh, or, or, or gone uh, to the Soviet Union, to Moscow or elsewhere. So he said, sure. <laughs> so I said, great. So we flew to Moscow and we spent about a week or so there and met with a lot of crazy people. But uh, we also went to the church that was the main Moscow Baptist Church. This was the one evangelical church that was allowed to stay open during all those years. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure Brother Andrew had visited there. But Billy Graham had preached there. President Richard Nixon had visited there. Like that was the the showcase church, you know, and then all the underground churches, obviously, um, President Nixon and elsewhere, you know, others did not go to those. But when we went, I, I had been there before in 86, and so I wanted to go back and just see it, especially now that the country was free. And we ended up meeting with the pastor, the senior pastor. He had been a young staffer or assistant pastor maybe uh, back in 86. Now he was the senior pastor. And uh, we, you know, he came as a, sort of a tour, and I, you know, I mentioned that I was there, and he couldn't have been more warm. But after he'd shown us around and told us some fun stories of what God had done there, he said, why don't you come back to my office? So my dad and I sit there in his office and he says, you know what office this is? You no, know, this was where the KGB kept all their recording and eavesdropping equipment. This was the KGB's office in all those years, including when you were here, Joel. I said, whoa. He said "Now, when the Soviet Union collapsed on uh, and, 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 and died on, on Christmas Day, mind you, 1991, it took a few months for the word to get out. But then eventually the KGB said, you know, unplug everything and bring it back to headquarters and you don't need to do this anymore. So he's like, okay. So, you know, the KGB took all the stuff out and the then senior pastor took over that office just symbolically. And then he inherited it, this young guy. So as we're sitting there, he says, uh, I said, well, you know, when we were uh, in 1986 traveling the country, uh, you know, one of my colleagues and I, when we would check into an interest, you know, official KGB hotel, we would know that it was a bug. So we would go around." The whole place, from, to every mirror and every lamp, and, and I would say, "Hey, uh, Tim, what, you know my, my friend. Uh, so, do you know what's what the what's the meaning of life? What's the purpose? How, is there a way to know God?" And he would start sharing the four spiritual laws with me, and we would go back and forth, just talking to the mirrors and the you know the framed pictures, and the, because we thought, well, if it's if it's bugged. Then the, somebody sitting there with headphones mm-hmm. listening, maybe they'll hear, you know, we thought it was kind of funny, but we thought it could be true. And I said, I, I was laughing with him and I said, you know, maybe someday I'll get to meet the guy that listened in heaven. He said, that's not funny. <laughs> that happened. He goes, let me I'll close with this story. He said a few months after the KGB shut down. The guy who was the station chief running, you know, eavesdropping on the church, he developed, I think it was cancer or some terrible disease and went to the hospital and was never going to come out again. And he contacted me and he said, would you come and pray for me? And I so I was like, "Okay." so I went to the hospital, the pastor said, and he said and, and there on his deathbed, he says, I was listening to every sermon that you and your colleagues and your boss ever gave and every conversation and i've come to realize as i've been you know processing all this that you're right that jesus is the only way to go to heaven and i'm about to go someplace i want to go to heaven and with tears in his eyes he said would you pray for me would you lead me to christ and so the guy did and i thought whoa i uh, that was a great, it's happened. Uh, great encouragement and yeah. um, and that was i just give brother andrew uh, such great gratitude from me that mm. nothing's impossible. We know that from scriptures and we know it from Paul, but young people have to be inspired, not just young. Yeah. We have to be inspired by modern day people who are living what Christ taught us. And, yeah. uh, and he did. Amen. Joel. Couldn't, Would you close us in prayer uh, for the persecuted church? And yeah, then, sure. um, and I'll make some final comments. I'll
0: pray. Father, thank you that the life of brother Andrew Uh, shows us what is possible when one man wholly devotes himself simply and dynamically to fulfilling your will in his life. Thank you that, as he shared with me, that his quote on his tombstone now, whether it's there or not, we don't, I don't know. (laughs) But his quote that he wanted on his tombstone was, he did what he couldn't. Lord, only you could do it. Only you could do what you enabled Brother Andrew to do. And Lord, thank you that his example continues to shine, continues to echo uh, into the lives of people today, uh, 50, 60 years since the time that Brother Andrew first uh, crossed uh, a border with the Bible smuggled into the persecuted church. And Lord, we want to pray for the persecuted church globally in Israel, in the West Bank, in uh, Arab countries, all across North Africa, all across the Gulf region, literally, Lord, all across the world where Christians are persecuted for their faith. We want to lift them up. We want to stand in unity with them, knowing that when we pray for our brothers and sisters in chains, it is in solidarity that we are with them so that they will know that they are not alone. And we know that your Holy Spirit is capable of penetrating all prison cells, all boundaries, all borders, and able to encourage and do what it is that you desire to empower uh, the church to do. So, Lord, we pray for those who are persecuted for their faith. We ask that you would bless them. We ask that you would strengthen them. And we ask that you would give them every resource that they need. And, Lord, thank you that we at, at the Joshua Fund have allowed ourselves to be open to you in this area as well. As we stand with our brothers and sisters, Arab or Jew, Uh, uh, Israeli or Palestinian, Lord, we stand with them and we say, uh, if you believe in Jesus, if you are at the foot of the cross, that we can come together and we can see, just as Brother Andrew showed us, that there's unity and reconciliation there. So we just pray for the persecuted church in the region and throughout the world. In Jesus' name,
1: amen. Amen. Thanks, Carl, very, very much. A great conversation. Uh, I want to encourage everybody who's watching and listening, uh, you can go to the show notes. You're going to find uh, links to the column that uh, Carl wrote for All Arab News, a tribute uh, to Brother Andrew, uh, a column that Al Jansen, his, uh, uh, Brother Andrew's co-writer on a number of these books, what he wrote for All Arab News, and that my wife Lynn uh, wrote about him as well based on how it, this his story, uh, his life, and even meeting him has, has inspired us and our boys. And uh, I encourage you to learn more about the work of the Joshua Fund, not just in Israel but and in, in the Palestinian territories, but in Lebanon, Syria, Jordan, Iraq, and Egypt. You can go to joshuafund.com and learn more and send us a, uh, your questions Wow, what you'd like us to talk about on the show. For Carl Muller, <laughs> I'm Joel Rosenberg, enjoying an opportunity to flip the script and interview him uh, since he was a real witness to history. God bless you and tune in again to Inside the episode.